Good morning, First Presbyterian Church. My name is Reverend Dr. Aaron Rafferty, and I'm so thrilled to be with you this morning. Uh, definitely feels a little different than the typical preaching that I do, uh, but I thought it was such a beautiful morning. I wanted to be outside, um, and I've got my coffee here and my notes here. <laughs> so I think um, I'm looking forward to this time of meditation on a scripture that is very profound to me. I should say that I feel as though I've been on somewhat of a um, tour with my friend Bartimaeus <laughs> over the last year um, because I recently conducted a study um, with uh, many student researchers with 11 different churches um, that are in ministry of people with disabilities. And um, we were gradually led to this text as a text that has real insight for um, congregational ministry of people with disabilities by our research subjects, by the congregations with which we learned. And so I had the pleasure um, this spring of doing some of this virtual meeting, but some face-to-face -face conversations around this text. And so um, this is just a starting off point. This is just a jumping off point. I hope you will um, continue to read and study this text. It's quite short, but there's so much to it. So um, let me pray for us as we um, open our time of the proclamation of the word this morning. Dear God, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So um, I guess one of the first things that I will just say uh, from our research, um, again, I, I said we did research um, over eight months uh, recently. So this was this past year, 2019, with 11 different congregations from a variety of uh, denominations and backgrounds, different experiences with people with disabilities. The one thing, sadly, that we learned is that the church is not okay when it comes to ministry with people with disabilities. Unfortunately, in every conversation that we had, every family that we met um, in churches, each of them had a story of rejection. Um, when it came to their experience with the church, whether they had young children, whether they were an adult with a disability, they had experiences of not feeling welcome, of feeling misunderstood, of not being able to be completely honest about what their needs were, um, and feeling like the church was actually not a place for them. Um, and you might say, oh my gosh, you know, how can this be? Uh, our church maybe is explicitly <laughs> welcoming, right? I mean, that's the way churches should be. I mean, many churches express themselves in um, language, right, that demonstrates their openness, right? They're inclusive, they're affirming. That's who the church desires to be. But what we're finding is practically that's not who the church has been. One of the things that I think we can pick up on when we look into this text, uh, Jesus's healing of Bartimaeus, is paying attention to the different actors, um, the different characters in the text. And it is the case, I think, often that as people in the church, we want to read the text um, as if we're on the side of Jesus. <laughs> um, we, we are on the side of Jesus, right? We care about what Jesus is doing. But often um, 
when we look into that text a bit further, we can find um, other characters, right, that we may actually be more aligned with. And in this case, I think it's really important and really insightful to look at the crowds and the way that they behave when Bartimaeus is sitting by the roadside and he is crying out to Jesus, Jesus, son of God, have mercy on me. And the crowds actually shush him, right? They intervene to try to keep Jesus from Bartimaeus and Bartimaeus from Jesus. Um, and, you know, ultimately Jesus calls Bartimaeus to him and the crowd has a change of heart. But the crowd here really plays this part where they think they know better <laughs> even than Jesus in Jesus's ministry. And Jesus kind of has to, Jesus has to correct them. I want to tell a story uh, that gets to the heart, right, of some of these misunderstandings and some of these moments in which um, we as the church want to be welcoming or we think we're welcoming, um, but we're behaving a li little bit more like the crowds um, in the story of Blind Bartimaeus. So um, I'm thinking back to a church that I worked with for many years. Um, it was a church that I think we felt that we were doing really well in ministry with people with disabilities. We actually had uh, 30% um, roughly of people with disabilities that made up our congregation. And people with disabilities were visible and active in lots of important ways, whether it be um, uh, running the video equipment for the service, whether it be being ushers or singing in the choir. But um, one week I went to a worship committee meeting and we were discussing um, exciting things like hymnals <laughs> and bulletins. <laughs> Um, and gradually that conversation shifted to a couple of folks at the table complaining about a woman with disabilities uh, and how she behaves during worship. And they were saying things like, you know, she's so loud. She's so disruptive. She needs to be disciplined. Right. She needs to be taught how to behave in worship and complaining about the ways that she was distracting people in worship. And the complaints went on and on and on at this table. And I remember that night, uh, I, I tried to interject a couple of times. I felt really uncomfortable about the conversation. I mean, here's a church that prides itself on doing ministry with people with disabilities. And yet this conversation, I mean, it sounds so similar um, in terms of the objections of the crowds, right, to Bartimaeus's disruptive <laughs> cries for Jesus. Um, and I want to be clear that I had a lot of um, concern and remorse about that conversation, and I don't think that comes from me being a pastor um, or being more in touch with God or the Spirit. I know, actually, deep in my heart, that that comes from my experience um, as being a parent of a child with disabilities. For the last six years, um, my daughter, uh, she experiences multiple disabilities, and I've been, you know, navigating life with her. And it's not necessarily those experiences of watching her experience discrimination, although that is there. It's actually watching myself and noticing the ways in which I do the same thing, right? I have expectations for her. Or I have assumptions about her. Or I have perceptions of uh, her that are false. Um, I think I have limiting perceptions of her. And I want to be rid of those. I want to be less, I would say, I would use this term, ableist in the way that I um, interact in my life. And she has been a key partner, a key teacher um, in ministering to me.
um, in ridding me of my ableism. So what do I mean when I say the term ableism? Well, ableism is discrimination in favor of the non-disabled or against people with disabilities. And so um, ableism can be physical, right? I mean, we can all think about the way in which um, our houses, say, have steps into the entrance of people in a wheelchair. They just simply couldn't get in. Some of our churches, right, have a lot of barriers to entry, physical barriers to entry for people with disabilities. But there are all sorts of um, social barriers for people with disabilities if you start to think about them in the way that a certain experience of the body, a certain experience of the mind is presumed as the norm for all sorts of institutions that we navigate, whether it be education, whether it be employment, whether it be being considered a citizen, right? There's certain ideas of what you should be able to do or how you should act. And um, these are really organized around a able-bodied or a non-disabled uh, way of being. And so these can be very exclusive um, to people with disabilities. And once you start noticing ableism in your daily life, you kind of can't turn it off. <laughs> you start seeing it everywhere. I mean, I think that the house, your own house, right, is um, quite demonstrative, your own worship service, you know, your own um, church building, right? You could see that very clearly. But when you start to see um, other areas of social discrimination, I think you start to see it everywhere. And when we think about something like the Americans with Disabilities Act, which was passed in 1990, um, activists, disabled activists, when they were fighting for that bill to be passed, right, for their civil rights, um, they were also thinking about disability in much broader sense, um, in a social sense. They were saying, hey, I don't think it's so much um, the things that we can't do with our bodies or the things with our bodies that are different or even the things that are our minds that are different. I think that people perceive us, right? They misperceive us. They have expectations of us. They assume we can't do things, right? And that's the real disabling factor in our lives. So that's kind of what I mean when I say ableism or I talk about the social model of disability, the idea that it isn't necessarily someone's body that's a problem, right? If society was organized in such a way uh, that this person could get in and out of buildings or that this person wasn't perceived to be incompetent or we didn't value, right, intelligence above all else. And we don't really do that in the Christian faith, but we do that, right, in society in so many ways maybe these people wouldn't be disabled at all. So then you might ask, you know, but what about Bartimaeus, right? At the end of this passage, you know, he gets healed. <laughs> Jesus comes in and um, cures him, we can say, of his blindness. And doesn't that suggest that disabilities, you know, are really an obstacle in life, right? They're better overcome, um, you might ask. So what I would say to that is not so fast, right? We need to look really closely at the scripture for what actually is going on. There's this dynamic interaction. I could talk about it at length, but um, I'll just talk about it briefly with Jesus um, and Bartimaeus here, where Jesus calls Bartimaeus to him, right? I mean, the whole crowd is saying, like, get this guy out of here. And Jesus is like calling him with the call language that he uses for the disciples. It's very profound. Um, so he invites Bartimaeus to him. Bartimaeus comes to him, and then Jesus says to him, what is it that you would like me to do for you? Right? Jesus doesn't assume, you know, he wants to see. Jesus doesn't assume anything, really. 
about who he is. He, he just knows that he's crying out for mercy, right? So Jesus invites him to him, and he listens to him, right? As a first order of business. And I think this gives us such direction as people who aren't necessarily disabled. You may be disabled, but especially if you're not, right? If you're non-disabled, if you're living in what we would call a temporarily able body, because you, know, you just never really know. Um, maybe there's real insight here for the way in which the church can behave in ministry with people with disabilities, especially if we do want right, to be more like Jesus. I um, have a bit of a confession to make. Even in this research project with uh, these 11 different congregations, with uh, people with disabilities, even with a team of researchers, even with my experience raising my own daughter um, and you know being more aware of my own ableism, we absolutely made some mistakes. We made some assumptions um, that needed correcting. And so when I said before that people with disabilities led us to this text, I want to explain a little bit more about how that happened. So one of the things um, when I do research, I'm a qualitative researcher. I'm a cultural anthropologist as well as a pastor. And so I love to learn with people um, and learn from them, listen to them, study their lives. And so that's what we were doing in this project. We were striving to get to know people with disabilities in the church and churches and how they minister with them. And as we did that, um, our practice that comes out of a long-standing um, tradition of how to do qualitative research was to say to people, look, we will anonymize um, your your church's name, um, the people in the study, we'll anonymize everybody so that um, nobody will be at risk, right? That everyone can feel protected and they can feel like they have the space to be honest, right? About whatever they want to say. Um, and Gradually, as we looked back kind of over our notes um, and as we started reading this text uh, from Bartimaeus and noticing that Bartimaeus is actually the only person in scripture with a disability who's who's named in the Gospels anyway um, and who's in one of these healing narratives, we started to say, huh, this is so interesting. Um, we actually, if we pay attention to the people in our study, they've been asking us to use our names like all of them were saying, when we would say, you know, we're not going to use your name, they would say, oh, but you really can. Um, you know, we'd love for other people, right, to learn from our church. Uh, people with disabilities said, we'd love for you to feature our ministry by name. And reading this story of Bartimaeus and seeing Jesus call him by name, right, and seeing Jesus call him into ministry, again, this call language of how Bartimaeus is called in ministry, and at the end of the passage, you see Jesus is extolling his faith, we went, Oh my goodness, <laughs> we've been so wrong. You know, we, we assume the right way to do research is to not name people. But when it comes to people with disabilities, so many of them, um, their voices, right, have gone unheard. Their ministries have not been named. In fact, there's the, it's the case, right, that sometimes like non-disabled people have spoken over in so many ways, people with disabilities. And so we have this unique opportunity to name people with disabilities in our study. And um, we went back to all these people and we said, do you want us to use your name? And they said, yes, that's why we said we wanted you to use our name. And we thought, oh my goodness, the spirit, right, is intervening despite the mistakes that we have made. And we need to tell the story accurately, right? Because it really is what we assumed would work. <laughs> the spirit is intervening um, to uplift the ministry of people with disabilities here in the same way that Jesus does, calling Bartimaeus by name. So 
here's what I think. I think that um, it's not necessarily stairs <laughs> or, say, the lack of training of Christian educators with respect to people with disabilities or even poor sound systems that is holding the church back today. I really think that ableism is the biggest obstacle for many, many congregations. You know, after doing this study and um, preaching and teaching and learning, I think that ableism is the biggest obstacle in Jesus's ministry in and through and with people with disabilities. I think that like the crowds, we've sold people with disabilities short when it comes to their gifts and ministry for the church. And we have failed to perceive how it is that Jesus is calling people with disabilities into ministry like all of us and how the spirit equips them. And so if that's the case, and you know, that's my hypothesis, um, but if that's the case, I think we've got some listening to do. I think we've got some repentance to do, right, as we listen. And I think that the church, you know, we want the church to be a space where people with disabilities can talk freely about the ableism and the prejudice that they've experienced in their daily lives, and that they're not going to be told to shut up or get over it, right? Like Bartimaeus, well, we're actually going to listen. Wouldn't that be what ministry is all about. And so I feel strongly that God wants to use people with disabilities to lead disability ministry. I'm going to say that again. I feel strongly that God, I mean, it seems obvious, but I need to say it, right? That God wants to use people with disabilities to lead disability ministry. And so that means non-disabled folks like you, maybe like me, we need to make way for those voices, for those gifts. So the question I want to leave you with today is, how can you get out of the way so that Jesus can lift up the ministry of people with disabilities in a way that truly glorifies God? I, I am convinced that God is doing a new thing in and through people with disabilities um, that has much grace and wisdom for the church today, but I'm not sure the crowds are ready to listen. So that's the question that I have for us. And I, I want to leave you with one more image. And it's that when Jesus comes back as the resurrected Jesus, he doesn't come back as an able-bodied guy. He comes back as a guy that has scars and wounds. We might call him the disabled God. Nancy Eastland, who's a theologian of disability, she said that in 1995. She said, Jesus is the disabled God. And so if we are to receive the resurrected Christ, in all of his humanity, I think it really means to receive the ministry of people with disabilities as part and parcel of what Jesus is doing in this world as sacred and good and meaningful. And I think we, the church, has listening to do. And I wonder what God could do if we could just get out of the way. Amen.